1996, Alex Totten struck gold when St Johnston made Kevin McGowan available for transfer. The central defender proved an inspired signing at the heart of the Kelly defence, and he would feature in some memorable matches during his six years with the club. And for Kilmarnock-born Kevin, his Kilmarnock journey didn't end when he left for Dundee United in 2002. I'm Gordon Gillen, and this is Kevin McGowan. As a youngster coming through, and I wasn't a naturally fit kind of guy, so everything I had had to work at it. I wasn't somebody that could pre-season or like over the summer break, I could switch off. I always had to keep on top of things. I was a big guy and I would maybe could put weight on if I didn't keep training. Some guys would come back at the start of the season. I hadn't done a thing since their last game of the season, but they would be like your Ali Mitchells, Matt Riley's, these kind of type of boys that were really just naturally fit boys. I always had to work at my game in terms of fitness. And Kevin McGowan, the player, I mean, I came into the game as a centre forward. That was the thing. Um, and then I was found, like, I played with Hurlford United. The juniors was spotted there. Went to St Martin as a striker. But then I was quickly found out that I never got to make it as a striker. Gordon McQueen was my coach at uh, St Martin. Leeds United, Man United, Scotland, international. So he obviously maybe seen something in my game and thought, do you know what, we'll play him, play him at back. So I ended up playing centre-half, broke into the team as a full-back, because I think Fraser Wisher at the time at St Mun got injured. So ended up playing games as a full-back and then had a wee spell at St Mun where maybe a year and a half and then they get relegated and then I get transferred to St Johnston. And that's where they signed me, they signed me as a right-back. But I knew I wasn't cut out to play in that wide area. Probably wasn't sharp enough. I think fullbacks have got to be quite nimble on their feet. And it is a position on the part where you can get caught out quite easily if your, your positional sense is not great. Alec Totten actually was at Sengbet at St Johnston. He got the sack. John McClellan took over for a short spell. And then John Blackley and Paul Sturrock come into the club. And it was, Paul, uh, it was John Blackley that more or less he thought it would be better at centre-half. And then, just from then on, that's where I played, was, was centre-half. But I would just say, wasn't it blessed with lightning pace? I wasn't it slow, but I wouldn't be... I think if I had just a wee half-yard more, I could have probably went on maybe played at a better level. I thought I was a decent enough footballer. I was decent in the air. And I would say I was just an honest professional, just going, love my training every day. As a wee boy growing up, to ever think that I would be going to playing at Rugby Park, playing at Ibrox, playing at Celtic Park. That was, as a kid, you can see these things, but they're not really achievable for you. But I would say, on the whole, I did as well as I probably could in terms of what my attributes were, in terms of, as I just said earlier on there, natural fitness and worked at my game, working my passing. And gradually, even through that 18, 20, 22, 24, I actually probably maybe improved all these things as well. And then when you get to that wee bit older, you've picked up that experience. Obviously, the latter years of my career, I would probably say for about 27 to 32, I probably played my best football. And that was probably just through experience as well.
some players, it's a job. Yeah. For many players, it seems to be it's you know it's the fulfillment of something. It allows them to do something they love. Yeah. And it's clear which end of the, the the spectrum you're on. But what is it about football, about playing football as a profession, that is so appealing? As a profession, well, I think you go back to when you were a kid as well. I mean, and I know times have changed now, but I never had a. I had always a football about me. Went to school, you played football. Come home at night, you played football, and it's probably a dream. And although even when I got to that 16, 17 kind of age, I actually think I gave it up for maybe a year playing football, and then come back again to Belfield Boys Club. Started playing with them for a year, and then ended up going into Hurlford United. But it was at that time you were kind of thinking, ah, it wasn't that big a thing, the football, just probably getting to that age where you were going to work as well and all that, and there was other things that were probably mere, not more important, but you were going down a different road. Kind of, I didn't see the professional route. I was never one that was probably, when you're growing up, that I was the top player in the school. I think that was a couple of boys that were better footballers than me at the school, so... Wasn't there a thing I ever thought about? I played with a boy actually at Hurlford United and he'd been at St Mun for maybe two years and then come back to the juniors and I got the opportunity to go to St Mun, they were going to sign me and he says, do everything you can to stay professional, don't go into it, just think you've made it and I put, can I put, not a downer on it, but he put my feet back on the table and says, you know, really, this is just giving you the opportunity to go to be a professional footballer, even that I remember it now, which would be 30 years ago, it just it must have had a wee impact on me and I thought I got the opportunity. I gave everything when I went into St Martin and just try to be, as, as I said to you earlier on, not being naturally fit. I had to really work at everything in terms of fitness to get up to the level uh, the boys that were running about me because it was a next step up again from junior football, you were going into senior football. The biggest thing for me was reserve football. That's where I learned everything in, in football, was uh, reserves. And, and it's a shame now that there's not the same amount of reserve football. Like, if we were playing Celtic at uh, Love Street, uh, we would go to Parkhead with the reserves and kick off at 2 o'clock. So you always had a game on a Saturday, the reserves. And, and then again, you had only two subs. So there was only 13 or 14 players maybe were playing Celtic in the first team so the rest of them could be another seven or eight players and you're playing with experienced pros and I was coming through at 19, 20 year old playing with Kenny McDowell, Frank McGarvey, Billy Davis it was just just these players had experience in the game and I think nowadays kids play with the same groups right through to even into their 20s and they're not getting that same what would I say grounding but I just thought it was a fantastic way to learn your trade with, with these guys. Uh, but that's that's not for me to decide. These are all the beaks above me that decide what's the best way forward for Scottish football. But I think you can see what's... Uh, I mean, I'm not saying it was, football was fantastic in the 90s and early 2000s. Well, no, we obviously not qualified for the World Cup since uh, 98, I think. So, uh, but no, I, professional football's... For me, it was, it was a dream, and I, I fulfilled my dream, I would have said. I think it's fair to say that you would be associated with two other central defenders during your time, mainly. I know you would have played with Jim Lachlan and Chris Innes and several yeah. others, but I'm thinking in particular about Ray Montgomery and Freddie Dindaloo. Yeah. I just wonder how you would compare those two players in terms of what it was like to play alongside them. Compare the two, totally different. Totally, totally different. 
Raymond, for me, was a warrior. He was just that type of player. I liked playing with Raymond because I knew where he was on the pitch. He didn't wonder about it, didn't try and be this player that he wasn't. He probably knew his limitations to a degree, and that's no been disrespectful to Raymond, that he just knew his job on the part. And I just thought he was a great competitor. You knew what you were getting every week with Raymond. He was, he was an 8 out of 10 every week. He wouldn't try anything, but wasn't he? And his remit, he would just go, he just loved the competition up against a, a striker. Whether it be a, even a Henrik Larson, I can remember some of the games and they'd be been tussles with him and they'd be crawling out the top of him, falling on top of him. But he seemed to have the sympathy of the referees. I don't know if Raymond did a wee something with the referees. He was never a boy. Some of the, the challenges, and he made it look as if he'd be tripping up and falling over somebody. But when he knew fine well what he was doing, Maybe at that age, because he was getting to like 35, 36-year-old then. He maybe just didn't have the pace, but he was cute enough to do all these wee blocks and things. And no, Raymond was a, and a great person as well, and a fantastic trainer. And somebody now, even when I see him now at Rugby Park, he's like a butcher's dog. I mean, he's as fit as a fiddle. And somebody that's obviously got respect for, the, for how they present themselves as well. And, and that was probably mirrored in how he played the game as well. It, it, it was as fit as he could possibly be, and it was the best it could possibly be. And Freddie, Freddie was just a cultured player, lovely left foot, lovely guy as well, and a very funny guy as well. Freddie was quite a witty kind of boy for somebody to come over to France, and I would think he would probably speak very little English when he first came over, but he wasn't long in picking it up as well. But I like playing with Freddie because... It was another one who just done his job and he would break forward into the midfield or whatever when he had the wee chance to play a one-two or whatever. But he knew, Freddie was another one, knew his job in the team. More so now you see defender, everybody's talking about flying fullback. Personally, that's maybe me just being a dinosaur. There's nothing wrong with being a dinosaur. I just like defenders to defend. That's the way I was brought up with your John Blatley's and Gordon McQueen's and even as a spell playing with Roy Aiken, who was just a fantastic professional as well. So that kind of thing never leaves you. And that's where football for me has changed a wee bit. And I'm not saying it's changed for the better either, but I, I like my defenders to be obviously defend first and foremost before they can play and take too many chances. And I guess this is a bit of an extension of, of that question, and we're not talking, I'm not going to ask about too many players, but I'm trying to get this idea of what it was like for you to play in front of, again, two very different goalkeepers, I think it's fair to say, in Drago Lekovic and Gordon Marshall. Thinking about Lekovic, did you have to adjust your game in any way compared to how you would maybe play with Gordon Marshall based on the style of goalkeeper that he was? Well, I've come into the club, was it September 96, I've come in, and obviously Drago's been there maybe a year or so. His English was relatively okay. Um, would I say his kicking could be a wee bit suspect at times, but it was a great goalkeeper, very agile, very agile goalkeeper. And another guy who would he command his area? Sometimes when he was in maybe a wee bit of confidence early in the game and he came for one, it would come for everything and everything, great game, but I was lucky if I played maybe 20, 25 games with Drago. So it wasn't a lot of my time at Commander, but uh, no, he was a great goalkeeper. 
my main time at Kilmarnock, my goalkeeper was, was Gordon Marshall most of the time. I think Gordon came in just after. We'd won the Scottish Cup maybe the January after that. So he came in halfway through with that 97-98 season kind of thing. And Gordon Marshall for me was the was the best goalkeeper I, I played under. Just he had a stature, he had a presence. He was very good with a back pass. And that was becoming a big part of the game, obviously, in the mid-90s. Deal with a deal with the pass back, but it was imposing kind of guy in the dressing room. And Gordon Marshall gave you a rollick, and you just your kind your heckles were up, and just you kind of hair were up in the end, and you just you took it. I mean, because Gordon, but it wasn't for any other reason. It was it was it was the truth. I mean, Gordon was a very fair guy, and he would uh, he would give you if you needed it. I just thought it was great goalkeeper just for us and it probably came to command it was probably maybe about 34 year old but then again it probably played another maybe four or five years at command then and it was I think it was in near enough his 40s he was going to Motherwell great guy as well a good lad in the dressing room and he was obviously somebody that Bobby respected because he always gave Gordon no he's say but corners and things like that, Gordon would be the one that decided where people went, whether you were on the front post or how many people they wanted, picking up, stuff like that. So Gordon was well respected by the coaching staff because he worked in tandem with them, which was a great thing. And it showed you probably the type of guy Bobby and we Jimmy Clark and Jerry McCabe were, that they were quite receptive to Gordon having his opinion as well. Now, a lot of time for Gordon Marshall as a goalkeeper. I thought he was a, a fantastic professional as well. Let's talk about a couple of matches. Yep. The first one, the last day game against Aberdeen, before that Scottish Cup final in 1997, the team had to secure Premier League status and it came down to the last day. Now, you work quite closely with Alec Totten at St Johnston. Mm-hmm. You're maybe quite well placed to say what wasn't quite happening at the start of the season compared to the, the second half of the season? Or what changed even? What changed that a few more results were picked up? It's very hard to put your finger on it. Alec Totten, I think, signed a lot of good footballers for Kilmarnock. I, I do, because I'm not saying that could sign me, but you had Jim McIntyre signed, John Henry signed, Paul Wright he signed. These were all good footballers. I think Dylan, yeah, Dylan Kerr was one as well. He'd an eye for a player, Alec Totten. I just think he probably took over, probably Kilmarnock at the wrong time, the right job at the wrong time, because it was in the back of Tommy Burns. Tommy Burns was hero worship, not only by the fans, people in Kilmarnock, probably the directors, we washing lady, whatever, plus the players loved Tommy Burns as well. So it was a big ask for him to go in then. To put my finger on it, I don't really know, but all I would say when Bobby came in, and I think it was around about Christmas time he came in. I, I was signed in September, I think, and Alec was away either November, December time, the, the same year. And then Bobby got the job on the kind of provisio as he was the interim manager or he was the caretaker. And I've heard it in good source that Alec McDonald was about to get uh, appointed as a manager. Yeah, yeah, I heard that. But Bobby got the job. I think we lost the first game. And then I think we maybe either beat Dundee United or Aberdeen. And then the next thing, he's got the job. Uh, but I would say what Bobby did, there was a, there wasn't a pressure on you playing. It didn't over-elaborate on coaching. Thing. It allowed you to play when you were on the park. There wasn't a restrictive vibe to Bobby. And I remember him always saying to Paul Wright, 
and Jim McTurner. It's just, it would maybe go over a wee bit of stuff with defensive stuff, midfield or whatever. It says, I'm used to up front, just use David, you do best. He said, he's told us everything else coaching wise here, but it just allowed the strikers to go and play off the cuff to a certain extent. Uh, and I thought, no, it's quite good. And we just started to pick up results because we had a really poor start up to Christmas. And it was looking ominous, to be perfectly honest. And then obviously you'll hear it now that they brought in wee Burkey and wee Beggy. Things started to turn and they were good. It was probably a freshness that was maybe freshness that was needed. And then we just started, it was good players at Commander, obviously, which was, as you see, for five, six months down the line. But I don't know if you have to ask me what would the difference be. I just thought Bobby, he brought in Jimmy Clark and Jerry McCabe. Jerry McCabe was a good uh, organiser of training, but he was a light-hearted wee character, Jerry McCabe, good fun in the dressing room. Jimmy Clark, very good knowledge of the game, done a lot of stuff defensively. And even going to that, like on a Thursday, Thursday, always the first day afternoon, we worked on shape on the back floor and it was actually getting boring like every Thursday, but it just became a habit and you get into that and we were, it was mainly, mainly about squeezing out the box. If the ball went past, we were squeezing up. All these wee things were added into our game and I just thought Bobby was, it was a type of boy maybe the club needed at that time. It wasn't, I'm not saying, no, it, it was professional in the way that he conducted himself, but in terms of the playing the game, it would just let you have a free hand to a certain extent. I, I just think the bacon and butt thing was just on that we were all jumping on the same roller coaster kind of thing, and we started to pick up results going into the last three or four months of the season. And I think you're saying there about the relegation. I had a wee look at it the day to see who finished bottom, and it was Rafe Rovers. But I think we were fighting to make sure we weren't in the playoff position. I don't think it was automatic uh, relegation. We would have been in the playoffs with whoever it was. I don't know at the time, but I think it was only about 10 or 15 minutes to go. I think Gary Holt scored. And I think that would have put us, if we hadn't got the point, I think we were in the, the playoff position. And, um, and I mean, obviously we see what happened last season with Kilmarnock. Now, it's not a, the only place to play your football in Scotland is in the Premier League. We had the unfortunate, obviously, last year we've done it, but hopefully by the time this goes out, well, I don't know what to say. <laughs> if we're talking about crucial last day deciders, mm-hmm. what do you need as a team to get the job done? How, how I would approach going into the last game, make sure I'm doing my job right first. That's, that's the first thing you do, and you say, oh, it's a team game. It is a team game, but collectively, if there's not enough people doing that, their individual, winning their individual battles, you'll hear it said all the time, then they'll, they'll struggle. In that Aberdeen game, Gus McPherson, Kevin McGowan, Ray Montgomery, a Dylan Kerr, an influential character as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, Gary Holt, maybe Ali Mitchell, maybe less vocal, but maybe leading a bit more by example. There's big characters in there. Mm-hmm. When the chips were down, yeah, would it be an individual? Gus McPherson would be, it was one of the boys that could noise you up on the park, but he was only noising you up to get a reaction at you at times as well. He could fall out with Gus easy, no problem, because he was just that type of uh, person. A Matt Riley would have been about you. A Raymond Montgomery, to a slight, I thought Raymond led by example, the way he conducted himself in terms of getting into tackles and just, just well, that's how he's got the nickname Ditcher, isn't it? I mean, it's just last ditch tackles and whatever. Uh, but if you're him, 
he had Jim McIntyre, who's a feisty character as well. Jimmy never liked being on the receiving end of defeats. Um, boys like Gary Holt, to, to a lesser extent, but Big Holty would run all day for the team. I mean, then a great team player as well, just done his job. Paul Wright, but he'd been more in the face off you, Paul, and he'd be in a different manner, but he's a great wee player, great guy. Uh, but no, you had enough characters in, in, in the team that would, would drive you on. And just you say, somebody like Ali Mitchell there, I mean, just pound for pound, what a guy, what a player he was for Kilmarnock, but just maybe wouldn't be the moaning type. But I'll tell you what, if you gave him a wee bark to tell him to get the finger out, it wouldn't be long arguing back with you. But no, these still great boys, honestly. That was a great time, great time at Kilmarnock. Well, obviously, we were doing 1 0 with 15 minutes to go. So there must be enough for character in the team to actually draw ourselves a level and get the point that we needed to actually make sure we're on the Premier League the, the following year. Gordon Marshall come in, you had your Gerrans, McCoyst, Varai come into the team, Cocard, uh, all these boys come in and they just add something more to the team, I think, than just good characters in a middle-of-the-table team. It just There was a bit of quality added to it, but they were good people. That's what they were. They were good people. And it was cute enough, Bobby. He knew he had good, honest professionals, but he felt he just needed that wee tweak, maybe just to make yourself a wee bit better than the rest. Maybe one they got to get to what Rangers and Celtic were. Cocard, and they're a great footballer. Pat Nevin come in for a wee spell as well. So these were all good, high-quality players of their generation and still with a bit to give Kilmarnock. But Ian Durant was just, Ian Durant was the best footballer I've been on the football part with in my team, definitely. Uh, no doubt about it. I mean, if that wee guy hadn't got the injury he got, I would, I would love to have known how, how far he would have went in the game. But it was just another, another one. Going about Ian Durant, slight guy, whatever. But moaning character, hated getting beat and just, I mean... The amount of times we we used to go every Friday actually to a wee restaurant in Newton Mears for a wee bite to eat, a wee Italian and all that. The wee man, he would, well, I'd be driving, we used, I was staying in Newton Mears at the time as well, so I'd be driving up the road, so I'm having a wee soda water and lemonade or whatever. The wee man's had about five plumbing glasses of wine. The amount of times he was sitting, we'd him straight to his bed and he'd got on the Saturday morning and they'd be the best player in the park. But these guys, that's the way I'm, I'm saying that probably enjoyed their sell at Rangers all these times and, and probably they did like play hard when they when they were off the pitch, but they played hard when they were on it as well. And ah, I thought Ian Durant was fantastic for Kilmarnock Football Club in that time. Was it 90, maybe eight, I think he came in roughly around about then, 98 to, and I know he was still in the coaching staff, but I think his last game was the League Cup final in 2001, I think. I think that was him. He played the first 45 minutes and kind of run the show. And then that was him. Uh, I think his knee had went to be man. So uh, he was a uh, different class. Go back to when I was a kid growing up and all the rest of it. Just like if I knew I was going to be in the pitch with um, McCoyst and a Durant and that, I'd be like, I'm talking rubbish. If you told me that when I was 15 year old. Fantastic guys. A very generous type of boy with everybody at the football club and that. And he was just integrated well. For somebody coming, from Rangers for being there for the best part of, I don't know, probably been there maybe in 15, 20 years of his life. But he integrated great into Kilmarnock and he took the Kilmarnock thing. I'm not sure Rangers was his team, but he, he was a Kilmarnock man through and through for the time he was there. And just a, just a, a great wee guy.
1998, Kilmarnock visited Ibrook Stadium, with hosts Rangers looking to keep alive their ten-in-a-row dreams. They should have done their homework on Kevin McGowan, the striker. played in I think what would well if you'll forgive me for saying maybe a slightly unexpected role in one of the greatest one of Kilmarnock's greatest modern league victories and the simple question is why did you not run the ball into the corner? <laughs> because about two minutes before that I'd only come on I was only on the last five ten minutes if I was that and probably about two minutes before that Gordon the ball got played in a similar area of the pitch and I went to take a touch and I took my set, I took a touch kind of wider and I went to run down the line with it. And my next touch, I've kicked it out of the blooming part. <laughs> so the next time it's came to me, I've kind of took it in, tried to shield it. And I think it was the big boy Amaruso. He's just backed off me for no apparent reason. And I've just turned. I'm like, what's he backing off for? I'm not going to run past him. So I've just took the ball at my feet. And I've just whipped it across the goal. And actually, I think John Henry should probably maybe score first. And he can slides in and misses it and then it comes to uh, Ali Mitchell at the back post and he kind of slaps a left footed thing that kind of uh, wrong foots I think it's claw singles it's kind of wrong foot at him and it's ended up in the corner of that certainly wasn't a position I was used to coming on as a striker not my time at Kilmarnock at all but I think the, probably the one and only time that I've actually played as a striker at Kilmarnock it's Ali Mitchell. I was speaking to Ali Mitchell last week when we were doing it at the Dunfermline game. And he says, no, Kev, he says, that was the three subs that come on the park. And I went, all right. I says, so was Zippy, well, John Henry, was he, a, was he a sub as well? He says, aye, so was I, I was a sub. I says, well, how did you two go on before me? I was the last sub. And uh, so the three years were involved in the goal as such. I was desperate to go on the park because I knew. Well, I knew you just wanted to play. I mean, it was not a day with it, 10 in a row or whatever, but Bobby was, he was one for putting subs on the last 10, 15 minutes of the game. But uh, I thought, obviously, he's not got to throw me on. He's not got to change the defence when it's nil-nil. But it just thought, on you go, go in front, up front. I don't even know who I'd come on for. Uh, but uh, I've never usually up that far in the park. You know what I mean? But it's, uh, no, it was a great moment. It, like, and I know commanders are a lot of decent Results at uh, Ibrox early years, I think it was at Bobby Wilson and Mark Roberts got one of the first year they were up in the Premier League. Um, we've won again, I think Paul Wright and Jim McIntyre scored, I think we beat them 2-1 that day. So we had actually decent results against Rangers at Ibrox. 
they beat us usually at, at Rugby Park and Celtic. We could beat Celtic at home, but we couldn't have beat them at, uh, at Celtic Park. A great time at that time, they three, four, five years had good results against the old firm, even Celtic at home. I think we Berkey scored a couple of times. Ali Mitchell scored one. We've beat them. Mark Roberts, I remember them scoring and beating Celtic at, at Rugby Park. So, and that was right good Celtic Rangers teams. Then I mean, they were top notch. The players that we were playing against then, I mean, as you just you've said there, the nineties. It was a great era for people to go and watch football and see foreign footballers of a, a good quality, like the Maravchicks and boys like that, Larson. I mean, Rangers Loudrop, Gascoigne. He'd rattle off another twenty of them, but it was uh, it was certainly a good era for even for me as a player to test yourself against Gascoigne's and boys like that. I mean, it was just to be on the same pitch as these guys. It's just kicking back to a wee boy at fifteen. And you say you're playing against uh, Paul Gascoigne. I mean, I was in the World Cup in 1990 just watching the football and obviously five years later, you're, six years later, you're running about against them. So there are these things, it's kind of surreal. Paul Wright said something similar. I'd said, not who did you fear seeing on, on, on the team sheet, but I asked him a question the equivalent of, along the lines of, well, I asked it as a supporter, because as a supporter, if you hear that a team's, inverted commas, best player is injured in the warm-up, you're like, yes. Whereas Paul said, no, no, I wanted to play against the best players every single week. That's what I'm there to do. And it sounds like you've gone to the same boat. 100% because, and these guys, it was all about concentration. You could not switch off for a second. And a lot of times it was a bit concentrating because Celtic Rangers, when came to that part, even at Park Head, Ibrox, but certainly at Rugby Park, they still would have a lot of the ball in it. They would have it in front of you, but you knew they could just in a wee blink of your eye, just play a wee slide, real pass or whatever. So you had to be just switched on all the time. And they did have quality in their team. And I'm not saying that we had the quality that they had, but certainly we could make life difficult for Celtic Rangers when they came to Rugby Park. And I thought we did over the piece a lot of the times where uh, we get some decent results. I mean, as Paul Wright says, you want it to test yourself against the best. And uh, it was certainly. It got you up, and you were probably emotionally and physically drained, more mentally drained at an end of your game. It wasn't so much physical tiredness, because you'd probably done more running against a, a Motherwell or whoever else, Hibs or Hearts or these kind of teams where the game would be going more end-to-end, where Celtic Rangers, you'd be kind of camped in it at times. So it was more mentally that you would be concentrating more in old firm games. I hadn't realised that you'd started off as a striker, so that explains a little bit about the delivery. Something that I would like to ask you about is the free kicks. Now, you scored a couple of belters, but I don't recall Kevin McGowan being regularly taking free kicks. So what were the circumstances that it, it was decided that you would take a free kick? The East Stirling game, I think, in this, the first game in the Scottish Cup, I'm pretty sure Paul Wright couldn't have been playing there because... I think he would have probably hit the free kick. And that's the reason why Paul Wright probably hit most of our free kicks. And Paul was a great, fantastic striker of the ball. And I just, he certainly couldn't have been playing because Matt Roberts is actually moaning the face off me. Let me hit it, let me hit it. And we hadn't actually played well in the first half of that game. It was just, I think it was right just before half time. And the, the, the fans were getting on our backs a wee bit. And it was obviously the position we were in the league at that time wasn't too clever either. And uh, 
we get the free kick at the edge of the box and Matt's gone, says, I've got to hit it. I says, no, out the road. He says, I'm just going to put my foot through this. And that's all I'd done. I didn't. If it were in the top corner, so be it. I was trying to just hit the target, make the goalkeeper work. And the, 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 when we scored and we 1-0 up and then I think we Tom Brown scored a second and that goes into the next round. But it just shows you how we things like that change. And like, Obviously, Paul wasn't playing that day. I wouldn't have hit, I wouldn't have hit the, the free kick. Paul would have probably hit it that day. Um, and I, I think I scored an hour one against Hearts in the league, probably around about 2000 kind of time, and, uh, at home at Rugby Park as well. But Paul probably wasn't playing that day either. So I wouldn't have, I'd have been no well done the waiting list for to get a shot at a free kick. I did practice my free kicks, I will say that. I always tried to look for that whipped one. And just with a bit of pace across the goalkeeper. But I never get the opportunity a lot of the times. I've had other free kicks as well that have skied into the advertising above the stand or whatever. But that was a couple I had. And I think it's only probably the two free kicks I brought, probably did score. Maybe it was uh, Hearts and the, the Scottish Cup one against East Stirling. But uh, no, it got us on the right track for the Scottish Cup run anyway. Paul Wright would be one of the best strikers I've ever played with in terms of his finishing, left foot, right foot, just a clever player. And when I went to St Johnston, when I left St Mum to go to St Johnston, 92, I've turned up, first day of training, a couple of days in, we've started playing practice games. And I'm like, who's this guy? I can't believe he's playing at a club at St Johnston. And then he actually got a bad cruciate injury. We're still good when he come back, but see the player I, I played with at St Johnston. What a player, what a talent. And he had everything Paul right. And he was no back left. See if a ball came to him and it was just a snapshot and it was cleanly hit, boom, bottom corner. And there was a goal, I think, uh, against Hibs. I think it was a Friday night game on the tail. I think we beat Hibs 4 4 2 or 4 1. I wasn't actually playing, I was injured. And I'm uh, watching it on the tail and it's hit, I think, for about 35 yards. And it's flew in the top corner. But that was typical Paul Wright. Just out of anything could... And that's where I think players like him, when games are tight, maybe not there, maybe no be involved in the game a lot, but give him a chance. Ball's in the back of the net. Paul Wright was like that. You could win games that you probably maybe weren't playing that great in. Then the wee man turns up, we swivel and he's drilled one into the bottom corner. And it's not until I actually finished playing that I realised how good a footballer was. I didn't, not say I didn't respect him as a player, of course I did, but I didn't probably realise how good he was until you finish and see other players and then you watch old games and see wee bits of old games. Jeez, he was no bad. I mean, and I was playing well. Another one that I was lucky enough to be in the football pitch with. European football was a near annual feature of Kevin's time at Killy. But... Was it a welcome bonus or a distraction? No, it was a positive because we'd probably get a bonus for getting into Europe or something like that. I'm not really sure. But no, I think if you're getting a chance to play in Europe, that was a, as I keep going back to it, for something like myself, never experienced European football till I came to Comarna. Now, within seven, eight months, we're qualifying, we're winning the Scottish Cup. I think we played, was it Shelbourne and Nice? And, and so going to these places, if you've you got to come back two weeks earlier, I would gladly do that. And to go to places like Kaiserslautern, Sarajevo, Reykjavik, all, the, all these 
places. I mean, there was just, I don't think there was a negative at all, Gordon, in, in terms of that. That was just, that was probably the highlight of my careers, uh, like obviously winning the cup, whatever, but, but playing in Europe was a massive part of it and just a, just a different experience. Just even just, I don't know. I mean, I know travel's a big part of football these days for football clubs and they probably get fed up with it. But for me, it was a, it was a novelty. You know I mean, I hadn't, as I just said to you earlier on, never played in Europe in my puff. So to go in there and I think, I think McCoy's talks about that. I'm sure it was four of the six seasons that Bobby was in charge of command that we played, uh, played in Europe. So it's a fair achievement. I wouldn't mind that again. You got a wee holiday. <laughs> That leads me on nicely to, you are a regular, I think it's fair to say a regular at Rugby Park. You go with your son. Yeah. I just wonder if you could give me a little bit of background on how you've gone from being the 1997 Cup winning defender to then going week in, week out. Um, it's just, I, I, I don't really know how we've got there, where I'm and how he's, he's obviously took a bit of, uh, obviously, Played with Kilmarnock and whatever. It's a fairly, well, it's a fairly joint. It's an hour and a half every home game or midweek game or whatever. And I've been at a few of the away games as well, William. But it's all in the last probably three, four years, he's really getting, he wasn't really interested in football when he was younger. And I, I do think it's a big, and I'm actually contradicting myself here because when I was growing up, I was a Celtic fan. Most folk will know that. But I thought, and I think about it, the older you get, and I said, I'm not going to be out of Parkhead for, for Hurlford, New Mills, I was brought up, and then Hurlford. And I, I'm a big believer now, where you're brought up, that's your hometown. Go and support that, albeit he stays in Perth, so we're driving down to Kilmarnock, so it doesn't really make sense. But he's obviously got an affinity. A lot of his cousins, well, they all go, there's four of them, they have a great wee day. It's a, it's a bit of a, a connection for him as well. Going down, I'll go to my sister's, go and see my brother, and we'll have day something maybe the Saturday morning or even stay over at my sister's on the Saturday night kind of thing. So it's more to it than just going to a game of football. It's a wee connection with the family again. He loves it. He loves Commander and he's, oh, he's, he's having kittens there thinking about what could happen. He just, we've bought our tickets for the Rafe Rovers game and he's saying, I hope, really hope we don't have to go. I mean, I hope it's finished by then, but no, we'll go to the game, but he's, uh, he doesn't want it to go into that uh, scenario. No, he loves he loves going to the games and he's, Raymond's been good with him because I've been doing a couple of times I've took him in and he's went into the, showing the Scottish Cup, the League Cup and the, the League Championship Cup as well. So he's, things like that, he's kind of got a, a, a nice connection with Kilmarnock and uh, they did a great deal on the season tickets. I think it was 40 quid last year. Got it for £20 this season because they supported the club through. So it's a no-brainer, but we've spent about a grand on blooming pies and tracksuits and strips, so they get it back anyway. Can't I mean? So, but no, he's, he, he, he loves it. He loves going into Kilmarnock. I, I just think, he, I don't know, it's just the people of Kilmarnock, they're good people. I mean, they're heart and souls in the football club, and I think he likes that side of it as well. So he thinks we speak different down in Kilmarnock as well. And I've maybe got a wee twang. I was down in Kilmarnock last week, and a boy came up to me, says, you've got a right Perth twang to you. And I was like, it's just surely not. <laughs> <laughs> what are you like as a supporter, having played at that level? Do yeah. you find it hard? Do you just sit and watch? Are you out your seat? Uh, I would say I just sit and watch and try and not get to. I can find myself got to shout something or whatever, but I just I just sit and watch the game. I'll, I'll let 
my wee fella jump about if he wants and all the rest of it. So I would say, to be honest, Gordon, in the last couple of weeks, I've actually started to get a bit more excited when they've scored a goal or whatever, because I know how close it is and how much it means to command them. The 1997 Scottish Cup, what extra significance does it have or did it have at the time winning the Scottish Cup when you're from the area? Is there extra significance when it's the team from the, the town that you're from the area? Uh, very much so, very much so. Oh, I mean, just even when I mean, everybody will say the same, to see your family there, but obviously I'm brought up in the Kilmarnock area. I mean, I'm Kilmarnock a lot of the time as well. It's just to see your uncles, cousins, uh, like you're, when the bus was going around. And I, did, I, I must have seen hundreds of people that you know, but family members probably seen 50, 60 of them. And, and you can see the elation in their face and whatever. And they're probably happy for the club, but they're also happy for yourself. I mean, the, well, how many times have won the Scottish Cups? It twice, I think. Three times, uh, three times, uh, and the last time before that was it 29? Is that now? Yes, 20 and, tw 20 and 29, I think. In 29. So you're talking, I mean, it's a gen more than a generation ago, really, since they won it. So with, for a wee boy, as a keep going back to, brought up in New Mills as a kid to eight-year-old, then Hurlford, my teens, to go and win the Scottish Cup for your local team. I, I don't think it gets any better than that. And the only... And as it's, and I'm being totally 100% honest here, the only thing that probably annoys me that I wasn't a commandment supporter through and through, growing up in my teenage years and whatever, and that's probably, and that's me being 100% honest with you there, that, and probably maybe even shouldn't say that or whatever, but uh, but that's the only but negative I would have from it, but everything else was just out of this world. And I mean, just to see... Going through the town, and it's not just John Finney Street. I know everybody talking John Finney Street, but going right down past the Grand Hall and down towards the old Tesco's and swinging around there. It's just it was rammed. Can, well, come in for Fennec and coming right down there. It was still people, Black's Bar and all that spinning around there. It was just a fantastic sight. That I'm not saying I'll never be repeated again, but to have that amount of people, there must have been 70,000 people running about. The, the streets and whatever then and to go right up John Finney Street just to see it just it was a thing dreams are made of not just for me because I was a local guy but for everybody I think every player talks about it and it'll be with them to the, their dying days um, it was just a just a fantastic day and I uh, just happy for everybody even to be at Ibrox that day it was a beautiful day and to have commanded to have half the stadium folk at heart. And it was a, obviously a family cup finals. It was well uh, documented. But the colour and everything, I just thought it was just one of the fantastic days in your life that I'll, I'll, I'll never get that again. Did you get a sense that people's perception of the club was changing at all? From winning the Scottish Cup? From winning the Scottish Cup or just... Did, did you get a feeling that... Well, there was obviously more of a buzz about the place, but how did the players pick up on the trajectory of the club as it was going upwards? I think, if, you, if I take it just after the Scottish Cup, I think from about 1998, the Sky started to get involved in Scottish football then, so there was a bit more money come into the game, and that probably come down to the players as well, like Commandment players and Motherwell players, and that they get slightly better contracts or whatever. So there was better players coming into the, the team, Obviously, there's no more evidence than that. And Gordon Marshall came in first and foremost. And then uh, 
Jerome Varai, I think, come in. And then there was um, probably Ian Durant, Ali McCoy's come in just shortly after that, your co-cards, Pat Nevins and all that. So I think for that, 97 was, uh, well, I think it was the springboard for what happened the next five or six years. And that time, as I said to you earlier on, they get into Europe four out of six years that Bobby was there. And I was doing a wee bit and I was looking at how we all finished in certain years. And then, and I think it was the year, that was the year Durant McCoy's came, 98-99. We finished fourth that year. We should have actually finished third. I think it was St Johnston nipped us in goal difference or beat us by a point or whatever. 29 goals against in the full season. And I know at that time that we were good defensively. Like, and that's not me blowing at my trauma. You had Gus McPherson, Martin Baker, Dylan Kerr, Ray Montgomery, Jim Laughlin, Gordon Marshall in goals. You had Matt Riley in front, Ali Mitchell, Gary Holt, Ian Duran. It's just, that was a, it was a, a solid team. And you had in a wee bit of flair where a McCoy school, Paul Wright, Ian Duran creating something or whatever, Varai. And 98-99 for me was my pinnacle in my career in terms of how I felt that was me at my best. That was my most enjoyable season out with, and we never won anything that year. Obviously, qualified for Europe, but I would say that was, the. if you say, pick out the best year of your career, I would have said that year, because it was the most enjoyable as well. I don't know if you were maybe even at these open days that they had at the start of the season, which is the year that they signed McCoy and Durant. Couldn't get moving in the place. There must have been about 30,000 outside rugby park. So these all these things were all right, you were probably paying them decent enough money, but I'm sure they, it was well repaid in terms of what they'd done for the football club as well. So, no, that was a, it was a fantastic time. 29, and it was a three-year contract. Like, I think Coman won a watch there. Getting you at your peak to yeah. agree to stay at Kilmarnock. And I just yeah. wonder, was there any decision to be made there? No, or not? no. Well, there might have been stuff going on in the background, but do you know what? I'm quite a home bird, and I'm, if I'm happy in my environment, I'm not really... Look, if somebody came to me and said, look, Hearts have got to give you 10 grand a week or whatever like that, you know, I'm pretty sure it would turn my... Okay, I mean, I would like... I would think about it, but no, nah, nothing ever came about. I wouldn't have even... I don't know, it'd be tough to ask other people. I was, saying, I, I was playing well at that period in my career, but... No, that was, I was happy to sign with Kilmarnock and, and that would have been around about the time Durant McCoy's came to the club and I could see the club was going in the right direction and they wouldn't have been far away for your hearts and hips but they were probably maybe paying then anyway, Kilmarnock. So, I uh, know, I was just, I was happy at Kilmarnock I and mean, I had a chance when I was younger, I was down to Coventry when I was at St Johnson for a couple of weeks and it's funny, like I was down there for two weeks and I was happy to get back up the road and I'd done quite well. But I thought, oh, I'm not sure if that's for me, kind of thing. So maybe when they enjoyed going abroad or wherever, or went down south. But nah, I was happy at Kilmarnock. I, I like to think I was good for the club, but the club's been good to me as well. Former Players Association is a great thing for, I think it's a great thing for the club. I think you should have players that are a connection with the club. And it was only just down there last week, and there was boys like Robert Connor. Uh, Ali Mitchell was there, Matt Riley, Craig Dargo, James Fowler was there, uh, boy Robert Riley, Ian Jardin for like, another era as well, Paul Clark. Out of all my ex-teams, Kilmarnock's the best for ex-players you know, in terms of accommodating them, looking after them, whatever. 
and I know a lot of that's maybe doing to Raymond to a certain extent as well. It's going to hang him and Paul Clark's kind of got that moving a wee bit. But I think it's well, it'd be good for the fans as well. I take it just maybe see all these old haggard faces going about rugby park now and again as well. Were you surprised that Craig Brown never gave you the call? It's only now, and I'll be the same again, I'll be totally honest with you. I'm disappointed. Not so much maybe at the time. I don't think I thought too much about it, but uh, I was disappointed for my career went on and whatever, and I thought I maybe should have got a shout. Because just as I said earlier on, I was playing in a team in the 98-99 season that was, was the best defensive record in the league. I mean, that was a provincial club and we've lost 29 goals. And I know at that time I was playing the best football that I could probably play. play. And not even to get in a squad or whatever, I, I was disappointed. And without getting into any detail, there was other teams, boys at Aberdeen and whatever, and you're like, how are they getting in? They've lost 71 goals that season. I mean, then you probably get who I'm talking about, but it doesn't matter. Uh, but things like that, I thought, you know, I think probably at that time, I probably deserved a shout. And that's not for me to say. I would never have been saying that when I was playing or whatever. That was up to Craig Brown. But when I look back now, I should have got an opportunity. Whether it was good enough or not, it's a different matter. But I just, I felt what Kilmarnock done in those six years, you think how many players got into a Scotland squad? Ian Duran? Maybe an Andy McLaren, an odd we got a shout, maybe in a friendly or whatever. But that was about it. Out of that six years that we had a decent team and there was never any... I mean, the goalkeeper never even got a shout to go back in the Scotland squad or whatever. And, and then there's Craig Gordon playing the now. He's doing fantastic. But I would think Craig Gordon's 38, 39-year-old, is it? Something like that. So Gordon Marshall would be younger than that and when they'd be getting a sniff. That's no got it. I started to go to my grave with me and I'll be raging with the rest of my life. It's just that was how I feel now that I should have got an opportunity. Thank you to 1997 Scottish Cup winner Kevin McGowan for this honest appraisal of his Kilmarnock story. This is the first time that Kevin has spoken in detail about his career. Killy Histories is a not-for-profit project made for the Kilmarnock FC Former Players Association. Find out more at www.killyhistories.com Don't forget to follow on Twitter and Facebook at Killy Histories. And leave a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. For a third season, huge thanks to the Killy Trust for their sponsorship, covering all production costs. To find out more about the Trust and its relationship with Kilmarnock FC, visit www.thekillytrust.com. The theme music Clear Progress by scotthomesmusic.com is used under free Creative Commons licence. This interview was recorded in 2022 by video call. I'm Gordon Gillen. See you next time. That 
was a sign of the times that 2001 Rangers are a top team, Celtic are a top team, and we were able to match these teams at that specific time. We won the beginning as favourites, nothing like it, but you're on the path and end up playing against Lambert, Lennon, Larson, Sutton, Hartson. They were all top players, and, and even in Celtic's history, I'll go down as probably legends for their football club, but we certainly gave a good account of ourselves in the four or five, six years. And I can only talk about my time with Comarna. Certainly, weren't they, uh, we did get a couple of tankings, obviously, here and there against Rangers and Celtic, but we certainly gave a good account of ourselves in a lot of the games, and we were well in a lot of the games, and gave them a couple of turned them over a few times as well, both of them. As I say, it was a good era at that time, and you've got to take your hat off to E. Bobby. Certainly, it's part of the very successful kind of era in the, the football club, not just winning the Scottish Cup, getting to the League Cup final, and obviously being up in that top tier in Scottish football for five or six years. There.